Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Want more Gators Breakdown? Join Gators Breakdown Plus. Starting at $3 a month. Get access to unique episodes, plus a blog, chat room, giveaways, shout-outs, and more. Gators Breakdown Plus is furthering the interaction with fans and listeners like you. Head to GatorsBreakdown.SupportingCast.FM to join Gators Breakdown Plus today. Gators Breakdown. Because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Back at it again with co-host Will Miles. Will, fall camp started last week. We are busy, busy, busy. I think I put out more episodes in the last few days than I, than I, than I really planned to. But uh, hey, that's what happens when, uh, when fall camp kicks off. Hey, man, three weeks we'll be doing previews for week one of the season. It's exciting that football's finally here. It's been a long haul since the uh, since Cotton Bowl and then sort of an early spring practice, and it's been a long, long off season. so hopefully everybody's ready. Um, fill up the swamp, make it, make it loud, and make it hard for Bama in week three. But uh, got a few games before that. Got to get ready for those too. Absolutely, absolutely. So plenty, plenty uh, to discuss as far as fall camp goes. You can go and check out the last few episodes and get caught up there. We'll talk more about it this episode uh, as well. But first, we'll get our guest on, and uh, he's been on Gators Breakdown before. Gator fans loved him last year. And uh, Brett Ciencia from Pick 6 Previews joins us here on Gators Breakdown. Brett, man, I can't thank you enough for uh, joining us here uh, again to discuss the Gators in the, in the world of college football. Yeah, well, thanks, Dave and Will, for having me back on, and, and thanks for all the praise about my preseason annual book, uh, my 10th annual this year. It's a uh, seven-month process, really. Once the confetti falls in January uh, on the title stage, I hunker down for seven months and write this thing. So uh, excited to get it to, you know, to, to publish and uh, excited to break it down with you guys again this year. Yeah, um, and you, you and you concentrate on the uh, on the Power Five uh, in your magazine or not magazine, but your you, your preview uh, there. Everybody can go order it, uh, Brett. So let our listeners know how you uh, where they can find it, uh, what it's about, what you put in it, all the research, everything that's different from what you put out there than the traditional college football preseason magazines. Yeah, absolutely. So I launched Pick Six Previews in 2012, and over those first nine seasons, I've been created the most accurate Power Five predictor uh, in the nation. So it's beating all the ones on newsstands, all the ones online. Uh, mine's a digital copy. It's all 65 Power Five teams. Uh, it's a one-man show too, so it's all me. I'm covering across conferences, across divisions. Um, and what it is, what what makes mine different besides the accuracy title, I think would be the balance that I try and strike between my numbers but also the actual X's and O's and football storylines. Because on the left side of the page, I have all my analytics, my, my infographics and numbers. Um, but on the right side of the page, I get it into a really nice text and a, a really good storyline, you know, a, a deeper dive than you might get on the ones from newsstands. Um, you know, it's a, a nice balance, again, of watching film, uh, calling coaches, calling coordinators, um, listening into local radio and local 
podcasts like this one um, and really painting a, a, a deeper, a deeper picture than you get uh, from the magazines on newsstands. So um, yeah, so it's my 10th annual, like I said, and uh, this one of course was the most difficult given the, uh, the short season last year, the inconsistent amount of games, uh, the lack of non-conference too. It was hard to grade across the different leagues uh, when they weren't playing each other. But then of course this summer you saw that transfer portal go crazy. So uh, it actually gave me an advantage because while the, the ones in print had to be sent to, uh, sent to the presses in April and uh, on newsstands by May, I'm able to keep mine digital, and I got mine published in mid-July. So I got all those extra months of transfers um, and, and some co- even some coordinator and coach changes in there too. So, um, yeah, so we're live on pick6previews.com and at pick6previews on Twitter. All right, Brad, good stuff. Let's go back to last year quickly. You had the Gators, top four making the college football playoff, made a lot of friends in, in Gator Nation. Uh, so uh, go back one more time. You know, we're, we're all ready to move forward a little bit, but uh, kind of rehash 2020 from your eyes as the team that you picked to go to the college football playoff. Yeah, for sure. And uh, I still don't regret this prediction. Now, um, I had him win the SEC East while most had Georgia, and Florida came through with that. They won the East. Uh, it was great to, for the Gators to take back the title from the Bulldogs. So I was right there. I just took it an extra step. I had them going and beating Alabama in the SEC title to then break through to the playoff bracket. And, um, you know, the, the foundation of the pick really was the offense. I, I had a feeling that this was going to be a, a historic and incredible offense. That held true. It was just that I didn't see an absolute collapse on defense coming. Uh, Florida, as a program, the last 20 seasons, they've had the most top 20 defenses nationally. It was 16 out of 20 years. So, I mean, if that's not a, a proven track record, I don't know what is. So I thought that with the historic offense, even if they had a, an above average defense like they usually have, I thought that was enough for a playoff. Now, of course, we saw the defense uh, came up short and uh, wasn't enough to, to pair with an elite offense and uh, lost a couple shootouts. But, hey, I mean, they had Alabama on the ropes. It was punch for punch uh, in that title game and uh, really a couple fluky losses there, too. Uh, you know, I'm not trying to sit here and, uh, you, know, re, you know, rehash the season, but um, and that was my pick. I, I stood by it. I, I liked the logic behind it. And, uh, hey, I'll tell you what, uh, from a third-party view, it was a heck of a team to follow. Because, of course, when I take a, a bold prediction like that, I, you know, I, I focus in even more on that team. And, um, you know, I followed every week. And that offense was historic and incredible to watch. The playmakers, uh, Kadarius, Tony, and Pitts, uh, just all-time players. So, uh, yeah, you know, it was a lot to be proud of winning the East last year. And uh, I think proved that Dan Mullen really has staying power within the league. Before before Will jumps in here too, I do have to give you a quick shout out. I, I did it to, I did it for you last year. I'll do it for you again too. Two years ago, you called the emergence of Kyle Pitts and, and what he was going to be in college football. So I'll give you one more kudos for that one. Huh. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. So what that is is um, I'm based out of southeastern Pennsylvania actually, and uh, it's rare that we see any kind of SEC recruit up in our area, up in District One here. And uh, I drove up to see uh, actually, as my alma mater was playing in the Eastern PA t- uh, title game, the Final Four of the whole state. They were playing a team called Archbishop Wood, a private school. And uh, right when they line up the first snap, I looked over and was like, wow, who is this 6'5 kid on Archbishop Wood? Uh, you know, we, we got our phones out, looked it up, and it was this guy, Kyle Pitts. And he toasted our defense. Uh, you know, it was touchdown after touchdown and just jump ball after jump ball. And, um, you know, like I said, it's rare to see SEC talent up here. And I kind of had a hunch that he would break through down there. It was a mismatched nightmare here and i knew that happened in the sec and you saw it come true um the first tight end to finish in the top 10 of the heisman since 1977 uh you know 12 touchdown catches most by a power five tight end this whole decade 
he did it in just eight games. So, I mean, I know this is, this is music to your guys, the listeners' ears, I'm sure. But um, even from a national scale, this was an all-time season. So, yeah, um, Kyle Pitts doing Pennsylvania proud. Uh, so, Brett, you talk a little bit in your preview about Dan Mullen, particularly that he's got the number one net effect of the 12 coaches that were hired in the 2018 carousel. I'm wondering if you want to go into net effect, sort of how you measure that and and where that sort of puts Mullen nationally overall, not just in the 2018 set of coaches. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, whenever you see the coaching carousel happen in December and January, you see a lot of people rush their opinions out. They, they cut jokes on certain coaches and they give out these grades, these coaching carousel grades. But I think, uh, you know, I like to let it settle in, see how they build their staff around them, see how they start recruiting, seeing if their schemes work. And I like to wait two or three years and then look back on how that, that coach and his staff did. So what I did with the 2018 coaching carousel there, what you mentioned was, um, and, uh, you know, what I like to do also is put it into the context of the program that they're inheriting because, you know, winning 10 games at Oklahoma is a lot different than winning 10 games at Vandy. Um, so with all that considered, I looked at the four years prior to his arrival, um, you know, the average uh, there, and then it graded against the three years that they've been on campus. And like you mentioned, Dan Mullen was number one um, out of the whole 2018 carousel, and that's beating guys like Jimbo Fisher, um, Herm Edwards, Arizona State, Mario Cristobal at Oregon. Um, you know, and then, of course, it's, it's ironic looking back because the two names that all the people graded right away as the best hires of that class were Scott Frost and Chip Kelly, who aren't even in the top half of my coaching effect um, from that cycle now that we're three years in. So, yeah, I just want to let the let the dust settle, right? Let, let them build their staff, let them recruit, and let create three actual years against the context that inherited. So, uh, with that said, Mullen's number one. All right, Brett, let's get to your rankings for this year and how you have it set out then. Gator fans probably not as happy as they were last year when they look at your rankings compared now. So number one, Oklahoma, the team that beat Florida in the Cotton Bowl last year, and this is uh, and this is how you have the teams finishing. Uh, for, you know, and who will make the college football playoff? So you have Oklahoma number one. The next one is going to rub the Florida fans the wrong way. Number two, the Georgia Bulldogs. Number three, Ohio State. Number four, North Carolina. Alabama at five, Clemson at six, Iowa State seven, Texas A&M eight, TCU at nine, Oregon 10, LSU 11, Washington 12, Wisconsin at 13, Utah 14, Iowa at 15, 16 you have Miami, 17 Arizona State, 18 Texas, and at number 19 Florida. So Brett, got to ask you there, of course, the Gator fans want to know why the, why the big drop from last year and now number 19 in your rankings this year. Yeah, well, um, I've got him second in the SEC East. Um, and what I think it was was really a, a historic offense like I hit on last year where you had the, just the timing of it all coming together. You had Kyle Trask, a returning starter, uh, the coaching staff and the offense in their third year together. You had Kadarius Toney, just an absolute X factor there. You had Kyle Pitts we talked about. It all just really clicked in the pass game. And I thought that they kind of maxed out on offense. So, um you know, in the defense, while I do love Ty Grantham, and this will be a, a heated topic, I know, amongst your listeners. I know it's a controversial one, but I do like Ty Grantham as a coordinator. I think he's got a, a proven track record. Last year was pretty tough. Uh, they had youth at some positions. Um, so I want to give him a mulligan. So but with that said, yeah, I think that there's still uncertainties. Can the defense get back to what it was? Uh, can the offense go through uh, a great reloading? 
I won't even call it a rebuild because Mullen's proven himself in that regard. But, you know, it'll be a different look. It's going to be more quarterback run. Uh, you need to really still establish that offensive line, get run push. We haven't seen that. We keep waiting for it to happen with Florida, and it hasn't happened in the, in the run game. So uh, while I see some uncertainties with Florida, it looks like Georgia is going in the other direction this year. And, hey, it's cyclical in the East, right? So I think while Georgia was transitioning and learning a new offense last year, Florida capitalized. And while we have a Florida transition year, uh, Georgia's going to capitalize. And uh, what I really like with them is they're, they modernized finally their offense. You know, make the 1980 jokes all you want. They were kind of offensively stuck in the 80s uh, up until just last October when they started to throw it deep and uh, brought Todd Monken in from the Big 12 to unlock a vertical passing attack. And, um, with JT Daniels taking over, that's a five-star arm and a proven starter. Uh, Ten touchdowns and two picks last year in a, in a small sample size, but um, I really like, like what they've got. And um, Georgia's the number one recruiter the last five years and three years on average. And, uh, and the defense, you know, if I'm going to give uh, Grantham the benefit of the doubt, I got to give this Georgia defense and Kirby Smart the same, if not more, given their track records. So, um, yeah, so I, I see Georgia really building into form and maybe uh, they need to take advantage of a small window of opportunity with Florida, slate transition year and in Alabama losing a lot to the NFL. And so you, you lay out your, your all SEC teams and you don't have anybody from Florida's offense on either the first or second all SEC team. I'm just wondering if you could comment on that and sort of, you know, do you anticipate that's mainly because they're going to be trying to replace the three guys that they lost in, in more of a uh, by committee fashion or, or do you really think the offense is going to take a step back and struggle this year with some of the losses that they've had? Yeah, well, it's not really too big a knock on Florida, to be honest. I think there's a ton of potential here. Uh, at the skill positions, of course, you lose the headliners, uh, you know, Pitts and Tony and Grimes. There's a lot of, uh, you know, top 100 firepower still there at those positions. Jacob Copeland, uh, Henderson, and I really like Deion Zipper, the next tight end. Um, Dave, I'm not going to go all the way and call him the next Kyle Pitts, but I, I, <laughs> I want to say that they're going to reload just fine at tight end. I think that he's going to be excellent. Um, so while it is, uh, you know, it's a preseason list, this isn't the postseason. These guys are a bit unproven, albeit they're very talented. Uh, just young. So I think that one of those receivers or even zipper could emerge up to all conference caliber. Uh, the offensive line as a unit, I, I think will improve. Um, John Hevesy definitely, uh, you know, has the reputation for that. It's just a matter of, we haven't seen it yet in the run game. Um, and then a quarterback. Yeah. Emory Jones might take the next step as well. I think it'll be a different, uh, different appearance for the offense, different scheme. It's going to go more run heavy. It's going to be back to Dan Mullen's roots. Um, when you think back to what he did, at Mississippi State, running uh, Nick Fitzgerald and Dak Prescott, like 15 or 20 carries a game from the quarterback position. Um, you're going to see a lot more of that. So uh, I know that Jones got some wildcat packages last year, but now taking over full time, he's going to get his 15 carries a game. So uh, as it relates to all conference, yeah, it, it's really tough in the SEC because there's 13 other incredible programs that are loaded with not just potential, but some of these guys have uh, more proven you know, game experience and returning starters. So for a preseason list, you got to uh, lean that way a little bit. I gave you rankings there, listed the teams, and a couple that are in front of Florida. You know, Texas A&M is one that is kind of consistently uh, in front of Florida in a lot of these polls. 
uh, and maybe in, in LSU, maybe you could say, and I know Gator fans, especially for the LSU side, maybe getting the benefit of the of the doubt here. Texas A&M replacing quarterback Kellen Wan at, at quarterback, but a really good running game and a defense to lean on there. So you can kind of buy that one a little more for another team in the SEC, but especially LSU, you know, in a defense that was just as bad as Florida's last year. Uh, you know, why, why do you see uh, a resurgence of the, of the LSU Tigers this year? Yeah, absolutely. With LSU, this is a program that uh, they recruited a top five level. And I know that it doesn't sound that crazy going from Florida's top 12 to top five at LSU, but that makes a difference. Um, and uh, yeah, when I broke down each, each position group, they're just loaded at every spot. It was the all-time transition year. When you think back to 2019, LSU's national title team, it was extremely veteran. And uh, I think it was 14 draft picks went pro. And what that, ha- what that caused was a ton of new starters for 2020. With no preseason ball, no summer, no spring ball, no fall camp, uh, they were learning on the fly and learning two new offense or uh, two new coordinator schemes. When they brought in Bo Pelini, um, and they lost Joe Brady on offense, so it was kind of a learning on the job, on the job training for a ton of young guys. And uh, yeah, the results were pretty bad defensively, one of the worst defenses in the SEC, if not the country. But I think there's still underlying talent there. There's top five level talent everywhere on this roster. It's uh, just a matter of getting full off-season training uh, and letting all the all these return starters now one more year veterans together. Uh, I like their coordinator hire switching up Ocalina. That, that was a failure. Um, I like that they brought in uh, Durante Jones and Blake Baker. Blake Baker himself is almost like a two-for-one package coordinator because Blake Baker was Miami's uh, defensive coordinator, and they had great attacking, blitzing schemes. And I think that's going to work here similarly uh, with so much you know raw talent. Yeah, there's a lot to like at all three of these teams, A&M and LSU of Florida. Um, LSU, I'm just leaning a little more on recruiting than I like to, but I just think that there's underlying talent there, given the right coordinators and, and the right amount of training this offseason. With A&M, yes, they lose Mons, but their entire arsenal of skill players is back, and there's all-American caliber everywhere. Um, Anaya Smith there, uh, Jalen Weidermeyer at tight end, um, you know, running back duo of Spiller and a Kane. Um, it's, it's just a lot to like. Their defense is one of the best in the conference last year, brings back nine of 11 starters. So they're, uh, you know, and they recruit at that same clip like LSU does. So, hey, I mean, it's, it's the SEC. It's so tough to, to make any ground. Um, but I think we're in for a, a, a kind of a bounce back year for the SEC, at least nationally, because you saw um, in the conference only schedule, some of the records were a little bit deflated. And I think with the return of conference ball, you're going to see the SEC return more teams in the top 25. Uh, so speaking of bounce back years, you mentioned Todd Grantham. You think he deserves a mulligan? I guess um, for some of our uh, some of our listeners, that's a controversial take. What is it about Grantham specifically that you think he does well, and do you think he's able to make the give have the Florida defense take a significant step this year, or is it going to be sort of a you know maybe middle of the pack type of defense? No, I think that it could bounce back to the top twenty five area. I mean. Uh, the same sense that I was explaining that LSU and AM have all this five-star talent. Good Florida, especially uh, at, along the defensive line, you can rattle them off. Um, you know, so, so first for 2020, a couple things went wrong, and it's hard to be a domino effect. I mean, first, they were thin at defensive tackle. They had to force Zach Carter out. I'm uh, sorry, force him in to play inside, outside, of, you know, from his normal end spot. Um, and uh, the coverage didn't really click. A lot of match quarters that he likes to run, that just didn't click. It's either all or nothing. And both was like, was a collapse. Um, and then third, like I mentioned, it was just young. It was just a lot of 
blue chip young guys uh, from the, the newer recruiting classes that weren't really ready to be uh, SEC performers. So I think now in the full season, a full year of experience, uh, you're going to see those guys surging better. Uh, a good example of is Kevin Dexter, who uh, it was rare for a starting true freshman to, to start a defensive line in the SEC. It's so hard to do. He held his own. Um, I think that's going to be a huge, uh, you know, training point for him that this year he's going to surge um, again. So he's a five-star guy there. Um, who else? Brenton Cox coming in from Georgia his second year now. That's one of the best duos uh, in the league now. Um, given the Power Five transfers that they added a defensive tackle, like Antonio Shelton, Daquan Dukirk from Auburn, uh, that now allows Carter to move back to his normal spot outside. So. Uh, that little tweak there is going to play, you know, huge dividends this year uh, defensively. And then, yeah, there's talent in the back. I know they lose four D-backs, but I recruited an incredible clip there as well. The two, the two guys from Miami, Paul Meadow, uh, Jason Marshall, and Corey Collier to to really perform well. So, um, yeah, so with Brent, he's got a long track record. He's on multiple stops. He's been with Mullen at multiple stops. Um, given his long tenure. Uh, I want to give him a mulligan. So let's see how this one turns out now that he has uh, better depth in the interior defensive line. Let those five stars be turned loose uh, in the pass rush and uh, and see if the uh, the passing breakdowns will improve. All right, Brad, man, can't thank you enough for joining us right here on Gators Breakdown, talking to these Gators and how you have them ranked uh, in, your, uh, in your preview. One more time, let our listeners know where they can find your preview uh, and, and how to get a hold of it. Yeah, thanks so much. And I think that uh, even despite having them second in the East, I think there's going to be a, a ton of excitement for Florida. You all get back to the swamp and your tailgate. Uh, it's going to be an anticipated season for us. So, uh, yeah, the preview book can be found at picksixpreviews.com. And if you're interested, there, I have a couple sample pages of a couple of sample teams. You can see the mix of the picks and the level of detail that I put in. Um, and if you're interested, I have a discount code up there, SEC, easy enough, just SEC at checkout. Um, and then follow at Pick 6 Previews on Twitter. All right, Brett, man, thank you very much. And uh, we'll get you back on again next year uh, to, to preview these Gators one more time. Yeah, thanks, David. Well, and uh, good luck this fall. All right, see you later. All right, there. Sorry for the audio, guys. I know it was a little, little rough there toward the end. Uh, there. So, Will, yep, uh, 19 there. Coaches poll also come out today uh, there. So, more of an, uh, I, well, I guess we, should, we could say official, but not really official since it doesn't really factor into the college football playoff rankings now uh, there. So, uh, you know, Florida, uh, after, you know, last year, a team that was picked as a trendy pick for the college football playoff to win the SEC East, uh, one of the more popular polls come out today. Uh, like I said, uh, Brett's poll out there for pick six previews has been voted most accurate in, in a lot there. Florida 19, Coach Polkum that today, Florida 11. So not really a surprise. We've hit all these polls and these rankings uh, basically since the preseason magazines come out early, uh, you know, late May, early June uh, there. But just a couple more there where, uh, you know, it's pretty – Pretty foregone conclusion in a lot of national media people eyes that it, uh, it's going to be Georgia to beat in the East, Florida second, and uh, that's the way we'll go into 2021 season. 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's really a question. And, you know, if, if he's if Brett's picking Florida to be 19th, then he's probably got him losing to Alabama, LSU, and Georgia. That's not necessarily going to go over real well with the fan base. Coaches have Florida up around 11th, I think, which means, you know, you're only getting two of those three are probably losses. And that still probably isn't isn't real easy for people to uh, to stomach, but at least it's something that's maybe a little bit more reasonable for, for the fan base. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting, right? I mean, this this is a – you know, we've talked about it being a transition year, but that the transition year has sort of a high floor. And I think that's what you're seeing in all these previews is everybody's recognizing what the floor is. And one of the things that I really noticed in the pick six preview was just he, he ranked the offenses and defenses related to percentile against an average opponent. And man, you go look at those Nussmeyer offenses and Roper <laughs> offenses and Pease offenses. And you're just like, wow, were we terrible in the minute? Yeah. It switches over to to Mullen. Um, all of a sudden, they're seventy six percent in two thousand eighteen, eighty nine percent in nineteen, and then ninety three percent in twenty. So even if we get a two thousand eighteen offensive performance this year, um, the way the way he's grading offenses, I think Florida's going to have an offense that's able to move the ball up and down the field. I disagree with him on Grantham, but so does the rest of the fan base. So we'll we'll just sort of leave it there, and uh, yeah. you know, everybody knows where we stand at this point. Yep, yep. Thought enough about that uh, there. So uh, no need to beat the dead horse there. We're in, uh, look, we got into it now. We've, we're getting to talk to players. We're getting to talk to coaches. We'll continue the, that here on this episode of Gators Breakdown. I've been uh, able to bring press conferences uh, to you guys and just kind of, you know, don't have to watch the whole thing. We'll get uh, some of the highlights here uh, from the most interesting uh, storylines, in my mind, you know, coming from uh, a lot of uh, what the players and the coaches have to say there. So, and Will, right now, doesn't even matter what we think too much. The games are about to be played. So we're just going to we'll, – we'll, we'll analyze and we'll, we'll critique and we'll praise when it, when it all is warranted, and that's uh, that's what we'll do here. We'll get into a little bit of fall camp notes too as well before we wrap up this episode uh, here. But uh, let's get started with Christian Robinson, Will. Uh, first time we've got to talk to him this fall. Uh, it's been We've talked to Dan Mullen so far, Todd Grantham, um, uh, Tim Brewster, and now Christian Robinson this time. And, look, this is about the defense being versatile – and especially at linebackers. So you know, Christian Robinson mentions being a versatile, being a versatile player on defense and actually learn what you were doing. Uh, and one player that they're trying to bring up the speed in that regard so he can be seen on the field because he can be that versatile piece is one-to-one black. Uh, and Christian Robinson hits on both of those topics here of being a versatile piece defense uh, and you know, learning at the same time and also what the one black brings to the table. The biggest thing that we try to do is to show them what the overall goal of what we're doing on a specific player personnel is. Um, I tell my guys, hey, if you're just wanting to know this one formation, what I got to do, that will only last you for one play. And guess what? The offense isn't going to line up in exactly what you want them to do. Learning that if I understand concepts and I understand what we're trying to do together, that that will allow me to know multiple spots and to know what's going on. And that ultimately gets into what our whole team goal is, is, hey, I got to know what we're doing in our mission and to put the team before all. That's been a big thing, and it's not a cheesy deal. It's a real thing. The beauty of what we do is that we ask our guys to know multiple positions because at any point uh, with the tempo that offenses give you or uh, certain personnel groups, we have to adapt. And I think that with him, He's already been learning X's. That's what we, we try to do is teach him X's. What is the concept that we're learning? And to finally get him here has been an awesome thing. Um, his story, and uh, I remember he was one of the first guys I, I had on campus for an official visit. 
and uh, him and his mother being here and just how excited they were to be Gators and to take that journey. Um, I'm just so proud of them and to finally be here. You know, a lot of guys take what this game for granted because they just get used to how nice this place is and, and all the nice things that you get as being a student athlete at the University <laughs> of Florida. But to come in and just be thankful for this opportunity when you think that opportunity might be taken away, your attitude of, of being thankful for where you're at and what you have, I think that that's going to translate to him helping us this season and the seasons to come, that being thankful for where you're at and knowing, hey, it's not as hard as it could be. I'd rather be doing this than wearing a different logo somewhere else. Good words there from Christian Robinson talking about the one black will and being a versatile piece for this defense, but also what it means to, to be a Florida Gator for him. But first we'll go to the beginning of it and talking about being versatile in offense and learning what you're doing. And look, the versatile piece that he brought up and saying, you know, basically it's, it's coming down to you go back to last year and all the running around before the ball snap and not knowing where you're supposed to be. But that can also be considered com communication issues, but also, you know, guys probably were confused a bit of what their jobs were supposed to be. They were learning on the job a little bit. Some guys need to learn what they need to do. Uh, so now it's about, look, you got to be a versatile piece to be, to be out there, know what you're doing. So we don't have to take you off the field. You know, for if it's first down, you need to be able to play a certain way. If it's second down, you need to be play a certain way. If it's third down, play a certain way and look at the, what the opposing offense is doing and, adapt to what that opposing offense is doing. So being a versatile playmaker in this defense means you don't have to come off the field. You can stay on the field, and whatever that off opposing offense is doing, whether it's up-tempo, whether um, you know the, the matchups, how they bring about uh, different players and matchups, whether it be a, a running back in the slot or you know a, a speedy slot receiver, you're going to have to be able to adapt if you want to stay on the field in Florida. Yeah, I mean, Florida's been talking about this ever since Grantham came to campus, talking about having guys who are versatile, guys who can play multiple positions, guys who have the ability to stay on the field regardless of what the offense is trying to do. That's really what he's sort of outlining here. And and Black is really a great candidate for that sort of stuff. I mean, we've seen him in in highlights running defensive back drills, but also, you know, he sort of comes to campus um, recruited as a linebacker. And so somebody who can switch between those things and can really be a plus in coverage at the linebacker position I think is a really big deal so yeah I mean Florida's been trying to build that versatility ever since Grantham got here we've seen him do it a little bit with Diabate we've seen him do it obviously with Amari Bernie and now they're doing it with the one black and so they're sort of sticking to that philosophy where they're going to have guys who know how to play more than one position are versatile and can help be multiple when the offense does a different thing from play to play especially if the offense decides to go up tempo and Will, it's kind of funny. You know, we, we've heard this thought about well, maybe we should just start. We just we should recruit players who just know one position. And I think in today's college football, that might be a little difficult because I mean, this what this defense has struggled with was is an up tempo style of offense, a quarterback that can get an opposing offense in in, in a groove and and just get ready to go. We've seen that defense struggle in that regard, and they recruited that you know well on that side of the ball. But in today's college football, to me, you're just you're going to have to have these type of players, and maybe the the recruiting of the you know we should just recruit a, recruit a, a mold of linebacker that, that fits here. And, you know, I, Christian Robinson will go on to say that in, in just a minute uh, in, in another soundbite, but that, that's part of it too. You know, you just it, right now you are you're trying to get guys who are not really just fitting in one mold. Yeah, I mean, it's it's less – so there, there's a difference between having a linebacker out on the field 
who can't be in pass coverage and having a guy who can play multiple positions. Those are different things, right? And so when you look at, um, you know, a two down linebacker, somebody you got to take off once it becomes a pass position, those are the things you got to avoid in today's day and age, right? David Reese was really, really good for Florida, uh, you know, when Dan Mullen came in and even, even during the, the McElwain years, at the same time, he was limited when it came to his ability to cover in the, in the pass game. We saw it a little bit last year with Ventrell Miller, though I think Miller's quicker than, than David Reese was. Um, so from the standpoint of what you want to do on defense, what you're really looking for is somebody who, when the offense decides to go full tilt and decides to run hurry up, that they have a place that they can play both the run game and the pass game. Now, those are rare skills, right? Having people who can be out there for every single down and you need to, you know, there are times where you're going to rotate people in and out. Um and legitimately so. I mean, sometimes you just need a guy who's got who's stout up front to try and help support things. But the more you can find guys who can stay out there for all three downs, the more successful you're going to be in today's day and age of the way offenses are running, because you're going to need people who, you know, one play can line up in the slot and defend somebody. And then the next play can play too deep if they're safeties or if they're playing linebacker, a guy who can guard a guy like Najee Harris out on the perimeter, but also come in and put a helmet on Najee Harris if they decide to run up the middle. That's a rare skill, right? And that's one of the things I think it was awesome to see Black when they were running stadiums earlier this year. He was the only guy who looked like he was enjoying it because, you know, that's something like Robinson alluded to. That's something that's been taken away from him, but also because he's an incredible physical athlete when it comes to his ability out there on the field. I think we've seen that in his high school tape and in the JUCO tape as well. So I'm excited to see what he can do. He certainly brings a dynamic that I think is different than Amari Bernie and different than uh, – than Diabate, but you know we'll see what he's able to do and, and exactly where they decide to utilize him. And what from Christian Robinson saying right there, not and not a wasted opportunity out there either. He's gonna he's gonna take this role. He's gonna be proud to be a Gator. He's gonna you know take every rep uh, w- with with the serious seriousness out there that that it needs to be taken with. So um, the one black you know just hopefully puts it all together pretty fast as fall camp and he's a player that we see out there in the spring to be a part of this versatile defense here next player will uh talking about mamu diabate we've heard from him uh not long ago but also uh you know with the linebacker coach talking you gotta you got you gotta talk about diabate and him taking that next step you sit down with him in the offseason you say hey this is what you got to do to take the next step and to see him every day um you know I, I i post a lot about those guys so that people see their their growth and development it's hard in the moment to know that hey that is this guy working or not and they you know they they hey, coach i want to be a part of that um and he's done everything i've asked him to do and coach savage and just being a gym rat his body looks the way a linebacker is supposed to look and he's only he's got more to grow and, and he knows that he's got to keep developing and doing his part. And he's become a leader. Uh, if you were able to come out there in the summer and see him pushing those guys, um, it's, it's pushing the group forward together. And it takes somebody like him, Ventrell, other guys in the room to do that. And he's done that off the field and uh, in the classroom. Well, I hope I'm not putting too much uh, on my own side on Debate. I mean, I think he's going to show out this year. I think uh, – and I don't know if you got to hear him speak earlier this week, Will, saying he was at, – at the end of last year, he was playing at 210. 
wants to play at 230. Right now he's 227. So, I mean, that lets you know the difference that that, uh, that they're looking at of him playing linebacker last year and him playing linebacker uh, this coming up year uh, and this season. I mean, and just uh, you know, the dedication and the training it takes to, to bulk up your body in, in this offseason from 210 last year, now up to 227, wanting to play at 230. Um, it lets you know he's putting in the work, you know, not only on the field, learning scheme, learning uh, technique, but also what he needs to do to fit that linebacker mold. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he he also made some comments that it was going to be nice to not get mauled by offensive linemen because the defensive tackles were going to be able to hold blocks this year, which I thought was sort of an interesting uh, an interesting comment that he made. But at the same time, you know, it's true, right? I mean, the one of the things that you see when you look at the tape from last year is that the linebackers were put in situations that were difficult for them because the off because the defensive tackles were struggling. And then Diabate wasn't big enough to hold up when they did that. So that sort of, you know, again, when you think about like a three down linebacker, Diabate was awesome on third down and seven, but sometimes on first and 10, it was a problem, right? Because you get a guard who's pulling around and he's got, and you can't take on the guy in the hole with 210 pounds, 230 pounds. You can start thinking about taking on that pulling guard in the hole, stone him and then drive him back towards the running back. And all of a sudden the hole constricts. So I, I think obviously, you know, didn't come to Florida to be a linebacker necessarily. I mean, in fact, his freshman year was, you know, with his hand down the dirt and pass rushing, more defensive end type and buck type stuff than he was linebacker. Last year really started to show some strides in terms of being a linebacker, being able to go side to side. If he's gotten 20 pounds heavier and he's able to maintain his speed, yeah, I'm really I'm really excited to see what he's going to do because his closing speed, like especially against Kentucky last year, if you watch, there were some there were some plays in that game where he was really far away from the quarterback and and then decided to go and two strides he was there and that kind of speed and that and the the lankiness that he has and and just sort of his physical build I think bodes well for his ability to have a big year if if Grantham's able to use him correctly yeah says he's faster will bulking up and, and faster so I mean you know maybe some some of those uh some of those muscles went to his legs as well to, to keep that speed up because if you're faster gaining that much uh, gaining that much weight, I mean he could he could be a force out there. And uh, well, I, I really just thought, uh, look, and I said this before, and I probably want to get your point on this too. Um, yes, you know, the, those are situations where you know COVID probably did play a role. And isn't it full excuse for what we saw on Florida's defense last year? No, but you know, this was a player who said look, he had never even backpedaled until last year learning how to play linebacker. I mean, it's, you know, so there, there were, those were little things, you know, last spring that they missed and then had to hit ball camp full steam ahead to get ready for their, for, for a new position uh, there. So, you know, th- th- those are little things that just added up, you know, for, for one, uh, and we'll hear from Gervin Dexter later too uh, about kind of the same thing. But, you know, as far as Diabate goes, that's one reason I'm expecting a big step from him is I think now he gets the chance to just piece it all together. It's funny because when you listen to some of the things he said last year, the COVID break after the Texas A&M game actually seemed to sort of settle him down and, and get him to a place where he was yeah. able to take some time with a couple of games under his under his belt and really start to analyze what was going on as opposed to just sort of running around and not really knowing what was going on out there. And, and, and then we saw that. We, posi- yeah, and that's a physical position in the SEC. Absolutely. And we and we saw, you know, it's funny, the, the defense didn't improve at all throughout the year, but we saw individual defenders get better. I thought Ventrell Miller got better as the year went on. I thought it was sort of incremental. I thought Diabate got better and it was and it was pretty substantial. I thought Chris Bogle got better and it was pretty substantial. Um, so there were individual 
sort of performances on the defensive side that give you hope for 2021. Obviously, the defense wasn't able to put it all together, and that was frustrating, but I think there were flashes, and now those flashes need to turn into consistency. And, th- and that's really the, the going to be the story for 2021 for Diabate is going to be, hey, you flashed – an ability last year where we went, wow, okay, you look different than some of the other guys we've got out there at linebacker. Are you able to do that on a consistent play-by-play basis? Are you able to put up 10 tackles a game? Are you able to take the linebacker out of the back or out the running back out of the backfield? Are you able to close on the quarterback when you have an opportunity? Can you bring down the guy for a loss instead of letting him break the tackle when you get him in the backfield? Those are all the sorts of things that if Florida's going to have a, a bounce back on the defense, Diabate is going to have to contribute. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely there. So last time uh, uh, we're here for Christian Robinson here and uh, talking about a couple players everybody wants to hear about at, from that linebacker position with the rise of Tyron Hopper and Derek Wingo from the spring. You know, I asked him, Will, about how much, you know, how much more could we see three true linebackers on the field? I think you'll see more than just that amount on the field at certain times. But, you know, the, the concepts that we put in – allow for us to teach them multiple things. And it's about matchups. That, that ultimately the game of football and any sport is about matchups. Uh, you know, it, it's about putting guys in a place to be successful and to be their best. And I think that when we recruit, we look for guys that have different skill sets. I don't want one, I don't want one cookie cutter type guy. Uh, I know Coach Mullins had a, tons of different quarterbacks. I want different linebackers because guess what? Mahmoud, has, he's so fast. He has, he has a great skill set. Ventrell's a little bit different physically. Those differences allow us and, and the diversity of the, the personnel we have to find the best matchups and to affect other people. Well, I like what he said there about uh, matchups, but also being able to adapt because that was one thing I was giving Dan Mullen a whole lot of credit for last year is, and going back to 2019 is having a quarterback like Kyle Trask when at the time we just didn't think uh, was – you know, a quote-unquote Dan Mullen quarterback. I, that, for, you know, there's not a quote-unquote Dan Mullen quarterback anymore to, in, in my mind. Uh, it's just the, just the nature of the beast right now and just the success he has. He can have success with any kind of quarterback uh, that, that's out there. But, you know, my, my biggest gripe was, okay, we've seen Dan Mullen be able to adapt to whatever he has on offense. Why can't Todd Grantham do the same? So you go and look at that, and, you know, he's specifically – Christian Robinson is talking specifically about the linebacker position and now wanting guys – we spoke to it just a little bit ago, guys being able to adapt there. But interesting that, uh, you know, he says when they go recruit, you know, it's not cookie cutter. They want they, – there's going to be different styles, different types of guys that go out there. And, look, I mean, Ventro Miller, they didn't recruit him, but, you know, he's out there, he's playing, he's starting – Mamou Diabate is much different than he is. Dewan Black's bigger, or uh, you know, uh, different than uh, those two. But then the two I just mentioned, Derek Wingo and, and Tyron Hopper. Tyron Hopper is probably the best overall athlete out of all of them. Uh, when you want to look at a linebacker and a missile that, that that he could be, really, hopefully, you know, the word out of spring was, you know, he probably was the top performer out of the spring. So hopefully that gets him on the field more than Derek Wingo. Definitely different too because he didn't play high school. I mean, he didn't play linebacker in high school. He was a, he was an edge rusher in high school that they converted to linebacker, kind of like what they were doing with Diabate now. So you know, basically, uh, he was what he's saying. And there's not a cookie cutter role for the linebackers that are playing in Florida. Yeah, if anything, I think you can say we've got much deeper 
depth when it comes to the linebacker position on the defensive side of the ball this year than we did last year, right? That, you know, there were, yep. there were times where, especially against Texas A&M, where it just felt like the defense was gassed and there wasn't anybody else to put in. Um, you know, there were young guys, but they didn't feel comfortable putting those guys in. And so at this point, if the linebackers are struggling, there are going to be other people that they're able to put in. And, you know, as Robinson mentioned, you might see a significant slug of linebackers in at, at any given time, depending upon exactly what they're trying to do and how they are able to sort of transition some of those guys from being running, you know, performing against the run game versus being able to hold up in pass coverage. But I think that's the biggest thing is depth. But, you know, when it comes to Wingo and Hopper, I mean, those are two top 100 guys. Those are guys you have to have deliver for your program um, on a consistent basis. Those are the guys who tend to make it to the NFL, and those are the guys that need to develop quickly. So, yeah, I think we're right to expect that we should see a big jump from last year to this year in those two guys. And, you know, you're probably going to see – I don't know that you're going to see – you know, consistent play in, play out greatness from them. But you would expect to see kind of what you saw from Diabate last year, right? Flashes. So you're going to see some inexperience, but hopefully that the, the inexperience comes against Florida Atlantic and against USF. And then when it comes time for Alabama, they're ready to go because they've already had sort of the hiccups as, as things have gone. So I'm expecting significant contributions from those two, but I still think that Mm -hmm. if Florida's defense is really going to take a step up, it's going to be the linebackers who have already been out there on the field for the most part who who are holding down the fort. Yeah, I expect those guys to be to to just really be out there and contribute this year. And um, you know, and we'll see. I do think just because of what they bring to the table, you'll want to get them on the field. And there are there are times that we'll see those three true linebackers. You know, I'm not counting a Jeremiah Moon, who's kind of a defensive end linebacker hybrid, or a Brenton Cox linebacker defensive end hybrid. I'm talking about your your true linebackers, guys that you know are going to play mostly in the middle, uh, right right there. So you the one blacks, your your Tyron Hoppers, your Derek Wingos are going to have to play along with Amari Bernie. Um, the Mamu Diabate and Ventro Miller guys who have played in those roles uh, there, but I like I said, I really expect Ventro Miller just kind of keep on continuing to see what we to see what he's done, uh, maybe elevate his game a little bit. Big steps from Mamu Diabate, Tyron Hopper, uh, and Derek Wingo. So uh, we'll also got to hear from Jervon Dexter uh, and him now. You know th- that big transition he had from from high school to college. Uh, what he learned uh, last year and now how he's developing. And also the last soundbite uh, here uh, will be about, will be Daquan Newkirk and what he thinks about Dexter so far. My big surprise was definitely like the, the game speed. Like I'm just, I was used to just like being a, being a little guy in front of me. And then now you come into, I came into my freshman year playing all SEC games to where the man, the man in front of me is just as big as me or bigger. So it's kind of like, dang, you got to, you know what I'm saying, work some technique, you got to work, you can learn some moves, you got to do something to get this man from in front of you. So that was my biggest thing. And then, like, of course, my first game was Ole Miss, and they run a tempo. So it was like, I'm thinking, dang, a way different uh, speed of the game. So that was kind of my biggest thing I had to learn. I feel a lot more comfortable just where I'm at. And I think that like, me being in there uh, early as a freshman was a blessing because now I know like what to expect coming in this year. I feel like coming out of spring, I had a very, very good spring on, on uh, the part of just getting better and staying consistent. So that's just my, that's just what I'm focusing on right now, just being consistent on learning. Like a lot of people know, I, I haven't been f- uh, playing football that long. So my thing is just learning new things every day and just putting the, putting that into my game. So that's just what I've been focusing on, just staying consistent really. Coach Turner's uh, personality helps a lot with uh, learning that because he, like I said, he's a little old school. 
So he talks a little, like he keeps it a little more simpler for me, like, yeah. and then just learning, from, like, just learning, like, just really just my thing, just experience and being out there. I learn like from just being out there. Like I'm learning, mm-hmm. I would say I'm learning from my mistakes. And being new, I, I being new to the game, I really don't have any bad techniques. So that I would say uh, that's a blessing. Also, just having no bad techniques and everything is new. I feel like that's that's what Coach T came like. He just let me know like this is what I got to do and this is what you need to do. And then since like I said, since it's new to me, that's it's easier to do. I definitely say um, I would say the nose position was a lot uh, simpler for me. Just because you just literally just come off the ball and beat beat the uh, center snap hand, so I feel like that was been that's been a blessing for me to just get right there and just know like a lot of times when you come in as a young guy, you don't know like all these plays and just everything going through your head. You got to move here and move there. I feel like when you at um, you playing against the center, you just just one man in front of you and just beat him. So that's just been that's been why I've been uh, having a lot of success at. I don't want to boost him up too much, but like Javon is the actual beast. Like this guy is a massive, massive man. Like I know he's a boy, but he's a massive man, and he can do a lot of things. I try to coach him up a lot. Like if he's just being like consistent in what he does, like he can be. It's crazy. <laughs> crazy, Will, is what they call Newkirk, describes Gervin Dexter as. It was so funny, though, look, watching the press conference, and as soon as Gervin Dexter's name is said, his eyes just light up. Uh, uh, Newkirk's eyes just light up. So it lets you kind of know what he uh, is seeing from Gervin Dexter so far uh, in, in fall camp and, and practicing with him. But, Will, I mean, I want to go back to, you know, something Todd Grantham said a couple of days ago uh, about uh, about Dexter and saying, look, now in this stage in his career, he needs to be learning, you know, what an offensive line set means I and mean, what a, a where a running back lines up might mean. You know, now he didn't really learn all that stuff last year. That's what he's saying now. Uh, you know, playing those tackles a little easier because you can just go beat the – you can go beat the center in front of you. But, you know, going back to his time as a high schooler, I mean, with his size, you didn't really have to worry about technique. Yeah, I mean, with his size in high school football, you are outman. You are outmanning. You are outmatching every opposing offensive lineman uh, that you come across. And then, like you say, it was a wake-up call when he goes to the SEC and lines up with guys uh, that are his size or even bigger. And you know, you didn't have to worry about technique so much. Now you got to worry about technique. Now you got to worry about the little nuances of the game. And uh, everything was getting thrown at him all at one time. As he mentioned, he doesn't have a whole lot of experience playing football. So not only is the whole game of football kind of new to uh, Driven Dexter, but you, know, you added even more newness. Is like, okay, you're this big time athlete. You know, you got this five star status. You know, you have all the potential in the world. But now you're thrusted in SEC play. And the game's a little faster for you, and you got to play catch up while learning at the same time. Yeah, I mean, he was able to hold his own, though. I mean, when yep. you look at the statistics, when you look at sort of, I mean, heck, he had more interceptions than most of the defensive backs when, when you look <laughs> at the way things went last year. Um, you know, look, you could see flashes, right? You could see the talent. Um, but again, consistency, I think, is sort of the, the name of the game here in 2021 for some of these defenders last year who showed flashes but didn't necessarily, weren't able to necessarily put that together to be a complete player. I think the same thing applies for Dexter. And, you know, he is, he's really the key to the entire defense. I mean, you've got Shelton and Newkirk coming in. Those are, those are big bodies who are going to help up front. Um, you know, those are guys who are established power five players. But, but Dexter is the guy who, 
has the profile and the talent to really cause havoc in the middle and really get into quarterbacks faces. And when you think about interceptions, usually the interceptions come from guys driving up the middle and putting pressure in their face because they have to make throws before they want to. And they have to make throws with guys, guys making them sort of throw off the back foot, you know, turnovers when it comes to, when it comes to fumbles and things like that come off the edge. But when it comes to interceptions, that comes from driving up the middle. And one of the reasons Florida struggled to get interceptions last year is they didn't have a whole lot of push up the middle. So if Dexter's able to bring that, if he's able to take some of the technique that he's learned, if he's able to really understand when it's his opportunity to take over and drive somebody back, he's got the physical advantages, right? It's going to be a question of can he, can he put it all together this year or is it can he continue to build on what he had last year to where by the end of the year we're really saying, wow, he's really putting it together, um, hopefully in that game against Jacksonville or game in Jacksonville. Yeah, absolutely. That's what we're looking for. So you heard Newkirk there uh, toward the end uh, of that soundbite about Gervin Dexter. Well, we got to hear from Newkirk uh, on him transferring to Florida, how he fits into the how he fits into this Todd Grantham defense, uh, and also hear from Dexter back at the end on the additions and playing with Newkirk and Valentino. Man, I'm very excited to play with these guys. Um, well, I hope to bring just stoutness uh, all across the line, just us as a whole. Stopping a run, doing what we need to do, just being a team player. And I'm very excited to play with these guys. I think it's a great group, and we're going to have a great, great time. I think really just like buying into the program, learning what, you know, the goals are. And I learned that very quickly, like they're hard-nosed, they're, they're workers here. And I just had to get with the program, let, them not, let the guys know that I was here to come work. The guys just accepted their roles, honestly. I know my role, they know their role, and that's what I love. Um, I'm a team player. I'm down to do whatever. I don't. If I would have came here and I didn't win, whatever. Like if I was a backup, that was fine. I'm just coming here to do my role. I play mainly three tech, but um, I play all across the line in different schemes. So um, I don't really prefer anywhere. I'm just an everywhere guy. So wherever they want to put me at, I can play it pretty much. Uh, it's pretty similar. Only thing like they do, they do a lot of things on third down that's pretty different. Just a lot of different. Uh, calls and stuff like that, but that, but our base schemes and all that is pretty similar. I feel like when Red came in, it was almost Ill, or Daquan. I'm sorry, when Daquan came in, it was almost Ill, like he was already supposed to be here. And it's just like you know, what I'm, saying? I'm from Polk County. He from right there from Orlando, so it's kind of familiar area. So I feel like when he came in, it was almost Ill, like dang, he I feel like like it was no like new play. It was like he was already here. And then with Antonio, it took him a little while to like adapt to things because he was from almost the other side of the world. So it took him a little while to adapt to things, and now he's learning, picking up on, and we took him in like a brother. So. Yeah, well, some nice thoughts there for the two new defensive tackles, Antonio Valentino and Daquan Newkirk. And then Newkirk says, you know, uh, coming in here, playing a little bit of three techniques, so he'll play that, you know, defensive tackle uh, position there. Not over the nose, but uh, more that three technique, uh, not so far outside, you know, playing the five. But, you know, now just with him, that lets you know Valentino, Shelton probably going to play more of the inside. Dexter probably playing more of the inside too. But it looks like, you know, they can – talking to Dexter and um, 
uh, and Newkirk there, they're going to be moving these guys around, whether it's over the nose, whether it's in the three technique, five technique, those guys are going to rotate. Then just, you know, it's, there's three guys right there that I think, you know, Florida's going to be really be able to to count on, build on, uh, not having to force some other players out there before they're ready, like, you know, Jalen Lee, Jalen Humphreys. Hopefully we see a lot from those guys as well. But now you don't have to force those guys out there because Florida went out there to the transfer portal and was able to nab these two guys that are going to play a lot of ball. It might be the two guys starting when Florida lines up in that first game of the season. Yeah, I mean, SEC football always requires that you're able to rotate people in, especially, I mean, geez, you think about the temperature when, when Alabama comes to the swamp. It's going to be a warm one, right? So they're going to have to rotate people in. So you've got Zach. So having these guys on the team allows Zach Carter to go out to defensive end, but that also means, okay, so who's going to back up Carter? You know, maybe Human Milan or, or, or somebody else out there. you got Cox on the other side, and you've got Jeremiah Moon, and you've got Chris Bogle sort of backing up there. And then, like you mentioned, a guy like Jalen, Lee maybe gets an opportunity to be um, the backup to one of these guys as well as, you know, sort of the, the three-man rotation with, with Newkirk, Valentino, and, and Dexter. All of a sudden, you start looking at that and go, hey, we got a lot more depth than we had last year, but not only do we have more depth, it seems like we've got more quality than we had last year as well. And, and obviously, any sort of scheme is going to struggle if the defensive line struggles. And, you know, there wasn't that one guy who was able to put up, you know, 10, 11, 12 sacks last year like they had in 2018 with Polite and then 2019 with Grenard. And so without that guy coming around the edge being a consistent threat, that meant that the the limitations of defensive tackle really shone through. So hopefully this year, um, bringing in these two transfers and then Dexter taking a step forward, potentially somebody like Jalen Lee taking a step forward, and then also being able to get Carter to his rightful spot right from the start, makes it to makes a point where the defense is going to be able to get more pressure early on, get more turnovers and, and more than anything, I think get confidence, right? I mean, you could really tell last year's defense um, aside from just the general struggles, lack the general confidence after the first couple of games, wasn't really able to get it back um, this year. You know, they put up, put a couple of zeros up there against, uh, against some of those early opponents and, and maybe they've got the confidence to then come out and have a much better season. Well, I don't think if this Florida defense is to improve, I don't really, I, I don't think we have to look any further than this group of players here that we just heard from and, and about. Uh, I really do think if these three guys, if just Florida defense is going to be anywhere near, you know, the top 20-ish, top 15-ish defenses that, you know, we, we expect or a lot of people expect to, to, to make that jump back up to, it's, to me it's going to be because of these three players. I mean, of course, it's, it's going to make the linebackers look better. It's going to look, make the cornerbacks look better. And those guys can make contributions to be better players too. But I think if if this Florida defense makes the huge jump, I think it starts right here. Yeah, I mean, I remember saying back in March or April that Gravon Dexter was going to be why Todd Grantham either got fired or got a head coaching job someplace. <laughs> and, and I stand by that. I think he is the key to the defense. I think if you if Dexter ends this season with five or six sacks and you know nine or ten tackles for loss, and if he's back and if he's really getting a push and disrupting the quarterback, Florida's defense is going to be much much better than it was last year. If he's getting stoned to the line of scrimmage and he's only got four or five tackles for loss, and you know and there are a couple injuries up front, then the defense is going to struggle. That, you know, I, I sort of named off a bunch of guys who, who were adding to the depth, but that is still my big concern is that in the SEC with a full 12-game schedule, um, you know, that, that injuries can take their toll. And so that's one of the nice things about having these guys rotate in and out. But there are a few guys up front that I think Florida's not going to be able to lose and, and, and have significant growth on the defensive side of the ball. Dexter's certainly one of those. 
All right, good stuff there from uh, Christian Robinson, linebacker coach, and some defensive linemen right there for the Gators. Uh, Will, I don't know if you get this out to see this morning. Gators had uh, a pretty detailed Instagram uh, post from Dan Mullen and, and, and practice out there. Uh, quickly, some highlights from that. Quarterbacks looked okay. Uh, Emory Jones, Anthony Richardson, but you know, he had some nice catches there. One-handed catch from Jacob Copeland right there on the sideline. Jamarcus Weston with a nice catch and run. Kamori Gamble with a couple nice catches, but – Will, just from a couple notes and what we saw from that video, man, I'm telling you what, true, true, um, true freshman tight end Nick Elksness is continuing to make some noise all the way from spring uh, and now in this you know fall camp and that uh, practice we saw this morning, uh, some video there. You know, Florida just might have uh, unearthed. Uh, I mean, I'm not when I call him a tight end weapon. I'm not comparing him to Kyle Pitts in any any form or fashion, but uh, another form of a weapon at the tight end position to go along with Kamori Gamble and Keon Zipper. Yeah, I mean that's great to hear, right? But I th- I think a big part of it is going to be blocking, just like you yeah. know we we hear about running backs and I think one of the keys to the running backs getting on the field this year is going to be who holds up in pass protection and and that's always the case right it's it's the soft skills it's the things that you don't necessarily come to campus with that they have to teach you that are the things that that either hold you back or allow you to fly so it's great to hear that Elksness is out there and and borderline unguardable at times when he's out there running routes and certainly they'll find a way to utilize that but you know one of the reasons Kamori Gamble finds his way on the field is because he does a lot of those little things he's probably not the most gifted pass catcher out there but from the standpoint of doing all those little things making sure he holds his block helping in the run game all those sorts of things that that's a big part of that position and that's what I'm going to be looking for and look at Elksness or when I look at Ken Zipper for that matter is guys who are doing the little things that the tight end position delivers now you know a lot of what Florida's done the last couple of years is you got a running back and a tight end in there which you know, has the defense have a couple of linebackers in and then you shift them out wide. And so, you know, if they can take Lorenzo Lingard, if they can take Demarcus Bowman, and then they can take Elksness and shift them both out wide. And all of a sudden you've got a real advantage because you've got linebackers one-on-one against one of them. Well, certainly then that opens up your options, opens up the ways you can do, do things. And Mullen even talked about having two running backs on the field. So, you know, are we going to see some sets where you've got two of the highly skilled running backs and then you got Elksness and Zipper out there at tight end where all of a sudden you could even shift to like a four wide set where the defense is in a much heavier package. And all of a sudden you sort of have, it's pick your poison because somebody has a linebacker on them in one on one coverage and you decide who are you going to send deep and who are you going to send shallow. And, and then it's up to Emory Jones to take advantage. Yeah, a couple more notes there. Marcus Burke also, another true freshman out there making some plays. So uh, welcome uh, welcome news for the wide receiver position. I will say uh, in a lot of those catches, though, you know, there was some good coverage there by the DBs. Just wide receivers making good plays, uh, good uh, runs after the play. Some wide open uh, guys, some guys left wide open too. But, you know, at least that that's better uh, earlier in camp than uh, when we get to the first couple games of the season, Will, uh, there. But uh, – you know, not to damper anything, but Demarcus Bowman did get the ball in his hands, and the defense caused a fumble that was picked up by the defense. So, uh, you know, Dan Mullen, Greg Knox, not going to take too kindly to the ball being ball being put on the ground uh, there. But will we did get to hear Dan Mullen mention uh, Demarcus Bowman earlier um, <clears throat> in his um, kicking off fall camp preview. There, you know, he's a little bit behind the eight ball, still kind of in the installation phase of. Um, uh, of taking over at uh, not really taking over, but you know being a part of this running back rotation, uh, but got to play only about a week of spring practice. Uh, we saw a couple plays, just a couple flashes there, and some of the highlights that Florida sent out uh, this spring. But uh, not going to find your way on the field too much if you're putting the ball on the ground. 
No, I mean, that's always the case, right? I mean, Malik Davis had some issues with that. It's taken him some time to find his way back onto the field. Damian Pierce is one of those guys who does not really fumble the ball. The only one I can remember is the one where he got hit in the helmet against Auburn. I think that's the only fumble I can recall Damian Pierce ever losing, and that's one of the reasons why he's he's sort of the lead back. And, you know, it's funny because I look at it, and I was looking at something earlier today, and, you know, I was like, oh, Florida hasn't had a really explosive running back since really Seatric Faison. And Faison averaged like 5.6 seven yards per rush well pierce has averaged five over his career so not as explosive as face on but still more explosive than guys like ernest graham more explosive than guys like kelvin taylor um so giving him, and especially with some of the offensive line struggles that florida's had over the last couple of years i think that says something about his ability to potentially have a breakout as well if the offensive line is really able to take a step forward so i'm excited to see what happens not just with bowman but with that entire running back room you know you, you we had on earlier robinson talking about the sort of the versatility and having running backs who each have different skill or having linebackers who each have different skill sets. That's definitely applicable to the running back position too, right? <laughs> each of these guys has a different skill set and it's going to be up to Mullen to figure out how to use them. And, you know, I'm, I'm really am excited. One of the things the Patriots have done really, really well over the years is find ways to use pass catching running backs, pass catching tight ends to really put the defense in, in some situations that they just really don't want to be in. Last year, Florida really had the ability to sort of line up and just win. Right. I mean, you put Kyle Pitts out there, you put Kadarius Tony out there, and you put Kyle Trask out there to diagnose where does the ball need to go right away. And Florida was going to win those one on one matchups and and they were going to be able to to take advantage of it. This year I think we might really get to see Mullen scheme some things that that opens up something for Emory Jones or opens up some big plays just because of some of the personnel and some of the different skills that he has at these different positions. So it's going to be exciting to see because, you know, I remember him doing that in 2018 when Felipe Franks was the quarterback. There was a lot of sort of scheme-based things that he was doing to really help out Franks. I'm interested to see whether he has to do that for Jones or – if we don't see that early for Jones, I think that's a good sign because it means that Jones really has a handle on the offense and that Mullen doesn't feel like he needs to do those sorts of things to scheme guys open. He just says, hey, we got the athletes. We're going to go out there and win, and Emory Jones can pull the trigger and, and move the ball down the field. Well, I'm glad you brought that up. That was something I was actually just thinking about today and, and Dan Mullen scheming and all that and how much he'll have to do that as well. It's funny that you bring that up, and I was actually thinking about it today because of the offensive line. And, you know, if they don't take the necessary steps in, you know, in, in some pass protection on the right side and, you know, in, in getting better in, in run blocking and run schemes as well, is, you know, what does Dan Mullen do to uh, scheme around that? And I think it comes with creative play calling. I think at that point when you are going to try probably to run the ball a bit more, more is basically just keeping a defensive line off balance. You know, you're not going to be able to keep Emory Jones in the pocket if you blitz. You know, you, you leave some run lanes open that he can run right by. Then uh, you, know, I think, you know, his ability to escape the pocket can help the you know, the the offensive line because defensive line linemen are not really going to be, be able to peer their pin their ears back. So I do think you know there's going to be some scheme in there to I think at least slow down the rush and keep a defensive line guessing as to what Emory Jones is going to do to help to help that offensive line. Yeah. I mean, obviously, I think, you know, people are counting on Florida to be where Florida's, you know, they're picking them borderline top 10 team, definitely a top 20 team. One of the reasons they're doing that is because of Mullen's reputation on the offensive side of the ball. And if you look back at what happened at Mississippi State when they went from Dak Prescott to Nick Fitzgerald, it's not as though they fell off a cliff. And I think everybody believes that Emory Jones is a more talented player than Nick Fitzgerald. In fact, you might even be able to argue he's as talented, if not more talented than Dak Prescott in terms of some of the skills that he has. And so, 
so you know we haven't seen it yet because Kyle Trask was so good coming in in relief of Felipe Franks but we're going to get an opportunity to and this is a guy that that Mullen recruited specifically for Florida he's really the first big time recruit that Mullen got was able to get him to flip from Alabama so that says something about about his pedigree and about his uh, his quality of play and then also somebody who's stuck with the program right I mean Jones could have decided to transfer out Instead, he decides to stay. He's now going to be starting, and he's got all this experience under his belt, not only on the field, but all the practice experience as well, and really knowing Mullen, knowing what kind of plays Mullen's going to want to call. And he's not going to get, he's not going to get flustered if Mullen happens to, happens to yell or if Mullen comes in and consoles him. He's going, to be, he's going to be comfortable with the guy who's coming in and helping him. So I think you know, an offense is always a reflection of the quarterback. Mullen obviously has a good track record with quarterbacks, and then the ability to put the quarterback in a position to succeed, which was always our complaint with Jim McElwain and, and Doug Nussmeyer, was it felt like, you know, Treon Harris is in there, but we're not going to run the ball. Well, that doesn't make any sense. Like, you have to mm-hmm. run the ball if you got Treon Harris. And you actually saw that that the success that Harris had early on when he was running the ball went away the minute they tried to make him a pocket passer. I don't suspect that Florida is going to try to make Emory Jones a, a pocket passer if he has the ability to run the ball. I think they'll allow him to run the ball enough to where it puts him in an advantageous situation as a passer. And that's the big thing is being able to, you know, last year Emory Jones came in and he ran the ball because that was what kind of what Florida needed. This year I think they're going to run the ball to set up the pass. And I think Jones has shown enough that that with the correct scheme and the correct way that things are set up, that Mullen's going to give him an opportunity to hit some guys who are wide open for big plays and it'll be up to Jones to make make it happen. All right. There we go. That's Will Miles. You can find a site at readandreaction.com. Will, what you guys got going on there? Uh, man, we got all sorts of stuff. So there's a new stand-up and holler over on our YouTube channel. Go over and subscribe if you get a chance. And then uh, and then we had a we had a tribute on the YouTube channel and on the website to Bobby Bowden. Sort of sad news that Bowden passed away this past weekend. But uh, you know, it, it's been it's been actually kind of fun to read some stories about him and then go back and think about that '90s Florida Florida State rivalry and and sort of what it meant to me as a as a kid growing up, and then also sort of what it meant to the two programs. I mean, you know, it's funny. You look at Florida State now having gone through Willie Taggart and going going through now Norvell. You think about Florida going through the Muschamp years and the uh, and the Ron Zook years and the uh, and the Jim McElwain years, and you sort of take for granted that there were two iconic level coaches at schools that were two hours apart that were major rivals and that those teams were in the top 10 from 1990 until 1999 every time they met, played for a national championship, um, you know, we're constantly keeping each other from playing for a national championship in that rivalry as well. And it's sort of hard to believe, right? Like these days, Florida State is sort of a resume pattern at the end of the year for Florida right now. But for years and years and years, that was sort of the impediment. And that was that was really sort of the the um, the the feather in Florida's cap that after they got done with an SEC schedule, they then had to go deal with the Seminoles. And it meant that if you made it to the championship, you had really earned your way there. So, you know, obviously prayers out to the Bowden family, but it's been kind of fun to go back and look at that, uh, look at that rivalry. Yeah. I've been on a couple of radio shows and podcasts this week. And uh, that's, you know, a question that I've gotten to, you know, the, the legacy of Bobby Bowden there and, and uh, what he brought to the state of Florida uh, for football. So a lot of your sentiments that you uh, just expressed, I, I expressed as well. De- definitely fun there in the nineties and uh, a rivalry aside, a, a good man. Uh, and uh, I had the chance to interview him one time. So it was, uh, it was a lot of fun 
uh, there. And he, he did have to jab me because I, I was wearing like a gator bracelet or something. And he noticed it. So uh, we, we had a fun little laugh about that. But uh, he was, uh, you know, the, the, but the only thing Gator fans can say negative of Bobby Bowden is, uh, you know, play into the whistle. Uh, playing to the echo of the whistle. So that's about the only bad thing you can say about Bobby Bowden as far as, you know, that goes in, in coaching Florida State. But as far as, you know, off the field, um, as a man, you know, you you can – and even, you know, Steve Spurrier said it too. They've become really good friends uh, after the fact uh, of, you know, coaching against each other for, for, for the 90s. So, you definitely uh, – he, he's, you know, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you, you hate to hear about things like that. Uh, it's part of life. And, you know, and I, I brought this up too, man. It, it just is kind of a preview of I, I, I'm going to hate the day when I have when, when we have to have this conversation about Steve Spurrier too because how Florida State fans are feeling, you know, that's exactly how we're going to feel whenever that happens with, uh, with Florida's favorite son. Uh, we still got at least 25 years of Steve Spurrier. He takes oh, yeah. good care of himself, and he's good. <laughs> he's opening up the new restaurant down there, and he, he's about as he's about as lively a 70 year old as you're going to find. But uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, you get these icons to your program, Spurrier specifically. It, it, you know, the Bowden Bowden was special for Florida State because he was Florida State, right? He helped build that program from the ground up, and and. You know, Spurrier obviously wins the Heisman at Florida and then comes back and, and really turns the program into something that it now is today in terms of being a blue blood and being one of the teams that's now positioned really well as college football starts to reorganize again. And and a lot of that is is due to due to Steve Spurrier, right? I mean, if we'd have had Ron Zooks and Jim McElwain's instead of Steve Spurrier when they brought him in in 1990, the SEC, I think, looks a lot different and potentially doesn't have the ability to sort of grow because that Florida-Alabama rivalry, in addition to the Florida-Florida State rivalry there in the 90s, was a big part of why the SEC has become what the SEC has become. So, um, you know, Bowden's a big part of college football, big part of our childhood, I know. Um, and then obviously, as you read the stories, one interesting thing was, so Nick Knudsen had written a, written a tribute article to him over at Read and Reaction. And one thing I didn't even know was he had been essentially recruited for the Marshall head coaching job right before the Marshall plane went down. And so that sort of had a special place in his heart in terms of, you know, he was at West Virginia and Marshall's real close mm -hmm. and he knew some of the coaches and that sort of stuff. But Bowden almost wound up on that plane, which is really interesting mm -hmm. when you think about sort of the twists and turns that your life takes, um, you know, that, that I think he almost always thought that he sort of got an extra chance and then was able to make the most of it when he went to Florida state and, and impacted, impacted players. Uh, you know, if you go listen to Mark Rick, there are a bunch of things on YouTube about Rick and his faith and how Bowden impacted, impacted Rick in terms of his conversion into Christianity and those sorts of things. So Bowden wasn't necessarily just a guy who was a father figure or those sorts of things. He was actually trying to make a significant impact on, on players' lives and on their faith. Yeah, good stuff, Will. Good stuff. Everybody had to read and reaction to catch all that stuff uh, there that Will and Nick have going up there uh, in, their, in their YouTube channel as well. Just hit a 1,000 subscribers on YouTube that read reaction channel did. So, uh, Will, uh, I can say it for you. Will, thanks you very much, everybody. <laughs> Absolutely. We can now monetize, which means we're going to do some cool stuff over, uh, during the season. So hopefully there will be some stuff up there everybody likes and be a little bit different than what we've done before, but, uh, but it will be fun and certainly be Gator-centric. So make sure you check it out. All right, you can find Will on Twitter at WillMilesSEC as well. I'm the host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown. <laughs>